So good to be with you here this morning. Thankful to be able to share with you this third part of Made to Minister. As many of you have heard, this coming weekend, Friday evening and Saturday, we'll be hosting a Made to Minister conference here. You're all invited. Everyone should come. But more than a conference, more than an opportunity to study the Word of God and then to consider how it is that you might be used in the life of someone else, is the reality that we believe that the primary way that the gospel is going to continue to be effective in the community and in the body of Christ is that you and I are actually made to minister to one another. Every single person here has a role and a time and a place in which you were designed to made to be a minister of the gospel, of the word of God, to other individuals that are sitting next to you or out in our community. In Galatians chapter 6, which is going to be one of the two texts that we're going to jump from, we've been studying, Pastor Justin has been looking through this passage, and as we go again to Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to highlight on a couple of the verses here from Galatians 6, 6 through 10. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Key verses coming up. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then... While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. All people everywhere to the household of faith that are believers within the body of Christ. Two key areas that the gospel is essential that we might continue to minister to people as they are ready to hear the good news of Jesus. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians, and in 1 Thessalonians, we go to chapter 4, 9 through 12. Pay pay attention to some key terms here. There's a a couple of key phrases that I think are really important. Verse 9, now as to the love of the brethren, there it is again, those of the household of faith, the brethren, believers. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. They're doing a good job. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Do we get complacent sometimes? Perhaps we actually are ministering one to another, but he's describing here the need for the brethren to excel even more, verse 11, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. There's those two individuals again, the brethren within the body of Christ and those outside of the household of faith, those that are in the world. We're called, we are made 
to minister. We believe that the primary context of counseling should be in community, and that as believers, we are all called to counsel. Therefore, we seek to come alongside the local church and equip them to respond in crisis by providing training within the church body. Our goal is to return counseling to the local church. And there's four key things that we have been reviewing each week so that we're making sure that we are all understanding that at the most basic level, we are saying that now the who that is made to minister is you. And the who that we are to made be made to minister are those within the body of Christ and also outside of the body of Christ. There have been key times in my own personal life in which I had no understanding, but that individuals, key individuals had been placed in my personal life or in my marriage life that were there designed way in advance to be made to minister to me, to Laura and I. There was a time uh, about uh, 18 years ago where Laura and I had planned and prayed about and consulted with people around us to get good input on whether or not we should move forward with the adoption of our son. And so we were in contact with a, an agency that places African-American children in homes, and there was a great need at this time because there were numerous boys that were available, and they were desiring homes. And so we started our paperwork. We paid our fees. But during this time in which our son was born, there was a lady by the name of Mimi. And Mimi, for several years had signed up to be a short-term foster parent for a Christian adoption agency. And on day one, when our son was born, she went to the hospital, picked him up, brought him home, and loved him like he was her grandchild. And so by the time our adoption came to the formalization of us actually going to the, this state in Alabama in which we were going to pick up our son, our son had been ministered to for three months before we brought him home to his forever family. Mimi was made to minister. There was an evening several years ago it was an evening in which we would celebrate my parents' anniversary, but my dad was ill at the same time. And we had a cake prepared, but we did not know that it was God's sovereign time that he would go home that evening. And so Bruce and Beth came, time to celebrate, but then they ended up ministering to us in a way that we had no understanding we would need that evening, which was that my father would be going home for good now. And as we worked through the personal grief and loss, there were Beth and Bruce. There was another time in which one of our children was hospitalized. And like any young parents, a hospitalization would be traumatic. The unanswered questions, who's going to take care of them, who's going to spend the night there, and in walked in Pastor Justin and Christina, who were uniquely made to minister to Laura and I on that specific evening. Then, one of the most challenging evenings of my personal life, a dark evening, a rainy evening, could have been any evening in Oregon, 
working through difficulty and trial, personal depression, anxiety of spirit, not knowing what the solutions would be, needing direction, needing intervention, needing prayer, that a brother's name came to my mind, and I call his home at midnight, and his wife sends him to my home at two in the morning to pray with us, to comfort us. And he came and he offered comfort in the spirit and his life experience ministered to us in a way that only he could because he was designed to minister to me that evening. And the knowledge of the word of God, he was made to minister to me that night. Have you had that experience? This morning, we're going to look at a couple of different testimonies. I think that these testimonies can represent many of us. You've already began to see some of the video clips as we've been uh, promoting Made to Minister, and so I want to share a couple of testimonies in a little bit fuller of a sense, and so you're going to hear a little bit more. And I want us to connect both of these testimonies to the passages of Scripture that we just read. Let's look at four truths before we continue, and then we'll move right in to what we're going to be able to enjoy this morning. Four truths that we've been reviewing every week. We believe that every spirit-led believer is called and empowered to encourage others. You are made to minister. We also believe, as stated in 2 Peter chapter 1, Everything that a believer needs to be successful in the Christian life is already in your possession if you are a child of God this morning. Do you understand that you already possess what God needs you to have so that you might minister to someone today? But notice that the fact that we are made to minister does not imply that specialists are unimportant any more than learning first aid replaces doctors. And in fact, I have a little uh, tier of intervention here. It's a little pyramid. You'll see that it's, a, it's an inverted pyramid. And the idea behind this is that we are all made to minister. And so you'll see that at the very top, every member of the body of Christ is designed to minister to someone. We certainly believe that then there are some of you that maybe participate in some type of a small group setting, whether it's a community group, men's discipleship, women's discipleship, most excellent way in which in small group settings and the leaders of those small groups are made to minister in unique ways. And what we're encouraging you to take a hold of is that we want to have you further excel is what Paul was writing. We want you to excel even more. We want you to grow in your faith. We want you to be equipped with the Word of God on a Sunday morning in these growth groups. But also, we have a unique time now which we have been educating in the Word of God, more and more men and women of God, to minister not just to the congregation, but the community around us. We also understand that we do have pastoral staff we do have staff here, men and women, that are uniquely gifted and also qualified through their life, but also the training that they have to minister to others. 
And in our community, we understand that there are counselors, there are individuals, but when we start looking at now psychiatrists and institutions, we understand that what Pastor Justin was even sharing from week one is, is that we are now in a mental health crisis where individuals that even want help have to wait sometimes weeks or months to get the services that they so need. And so we are ones made to minister, to come alongside them in their time of need. And then once they are accessing the services and resources that they need, that we don't just disappear, but that we are there for the whole journey that we might minister the word of God, that we might encourage them, that we might pray with them. You know, there is a place and time in history in the local church that we have professionalized ministry. And pastors are professionals and managing and CEOs rather than shepherds. But at the same time that we've professionalized, sometimes we've tried to sanitize the church too. And we are encouraging all of us to understand that it is within the context of the church that we should see and be experiencing brokenness and admit it. That we struggle. That we all have the potential and times and seasons of struggle and that we don't want church to be so clean and sanitized in such a Shangri-La of life that we would not see all of the real issues and problems that the world experiences within the body of Christ, but that there's hope is our unique answer, that there's hope in Christ. There are times where we see individuals' problems as uh, simple as just taking them uh, into the shop of mechanics, kind of like our cars, right? If your car is having a problem, you and I want to take it into the shop, and we want to take it in, and we want it diagnosed by a mechanic, and we want him to replace the part so that it'll continue to run, but individuals are not engines. People's souls are not just parts that you could take out and replace. And really, when we see that the original setting within the scriptures was God with Adam and Eve in a garden, that the Lord, the Father in heaven, as well as Jesus, desired that you and I have some of the characteristics that they have, and that rather than be mechanics, you and I should be ones that come alongside and tend to the garden. And when we tend to the garden of life, we're addressing the very needs of those plants that can now produce fruit, but we're coming alongside and we're being gentle, we're being corrective, we're being consistent in that we take people to the true source of what nourishment, direction, and with gardening, it takes a lot more than just dropping off a car. It takes getting involved in a living organism. And so then we believe the call to care is a call to prepare. If you are called to minister, then you and I should then prepare for that ministry. But we don't have to go somewhere far off or pay lots of money to have that done. We come to the local church. We believe in the context of the local church and that's what we're encouraging. You and I can be further prepared So to whom are we called to minister then this word of God? 
We are made to minister the word of God to all people. All people. And um, about 19 years ago, all people outside of the body of Christ was Josh. Please watch this video clip. So growing up for me was, was filled with chaos. Um, I grew up in a home that was not a Christian home. My dad was an alcoholic, uh, very verbally, physically, <laughs> mentally, just all around um, abusive. So I found comfort and friendship and family uh, in gangs. Um, I started smoking marijuana about the time I was 11. Uh, on my 12th birthday, I got told by a friend of mine who was uh, a, a weed dealer that if I was to stop by his house, that he would give me marijuana for free. And so I thought that that was pretty cool. And so on my 12th birthday, I went to go stop by his house and uh, he answered the door and invited me in. Um, I didn't realize though that he was involved in other drugs as well. And he had a guy there that was much older that I knew. He was not happy that I was there. And so he thought that because my parents were cops that uh, I would tell. And so what he did was he put a gun to my head and told my buddy that he was gonna shoot me up with methamphetamines. I was crying, I had never done hard drugs like that. I didn't even know what they looked like. But as soon as that needle was in my arm and the drugs were in my system, I stopped crying. I was instantaneously, physically um, in love with methamphetamines. And I became very violent. At you know 13 years old, I was kicking in people's front doors putting guns to their heads, taking everything they had. And uh, by the time I was 15 years old, um, I, was, I was gone all the time. Like I would be gone for weeks at a time because I was out running amok, selling drugs, um, doing drugs. Um, when I came up here in 1999, I started attending Salem Heights Church. It wasn't very long before I got hooked up with uh, somebody that is now a pastor here, Pastor Matt McCollin. And what he had to offer was scripture and uh, biblical truth and pointing me towards Christ. And I continued to tell him that that sounded good, but that was not for somebody like me. So 2009, um, I got busted for commercial delivery of methamphetamines, felon in possession of a firearm times three, and uh, I was on my way to prison. I went and did three years, and in 2010, uh, on my knees in E-block cell 288, I gave my life to the Lord. I cried out, and I, I didn't know, like, some sinner's prayer or whatever. I just, I just was literally on my knees in a prison cell crying, asking God to take control of my life. Um, I knew that he had to do it. And I, I told him that if he could do it, like I'd serve him. And uh, I got out of prison July 2nd, 2012. And I'll never forget Pastor uh, Matt McCollin. He, he hugged me and said, hey, if you're ready, we're here. Um, I've been coming ever since. I'm on staff with the most excellent way, so I get to minister uh, men that struggle with addiction. Because when I gave my life to the Lord and started following Him, my life changed. Um, and so I get to do that now with, with other men. Um, and then I get to counsel folks um, on what it looks like to follow Christ. Somebody was made to minister to me. Who are you made to minister to? I would encourage you if you um, think that you heard something in that testimony and you're not sure what he said, I would encourage you to ask Josh what those details are. I've heard his testimony numerous times and he comes each year. 
he and Carly often come to our Equipped Counsel class when we study uh, addictions within our biblical counseling ministry. And he was 12 years old when he was against his will shot up with methamphetamines. That's what, that's what he said. So that's like a highlight of the brokenness of humanity right now within our culture. But did you hear about different people that were made to minister in their CIC? I know the testimony, so I know a little bit more behind the scenes. At the time he first came to Salem Heights Church, Pastor Matt wasn't Pastor Matt. He managed pizza restaurants. And, um, and he, he, um, he was bilingual back then. He would say, back then, Figaro's, no cocinamos los pizzas aquí. We don't cook the pizzas here. <laughs> back then, Figaro's didn't cook the pizzas there. I mean, and so he, he had these phrases named, and so he was, you know, supervising and he was managing restaurants, but he was working with youth and he was working with men, and he was made to minister. Along the way, there were individuals in Josh's life that then would point him back to the gospel. When people uh, ask me if I know him, I say, oh, yeah. I go, I know him after, uh, uh, before, after, during, after prison, and I know him in Jesus Christ now. But he was on the outside looking in. Is the body of Christ too clean for someone like Josh? How is he going to hear of the good news? Who will sit next to him and mentor him? Do you know that we are also made to minister the word of God to the household of faith? Individuals that are already here in the household of faith, the church that are sitting next to you, and you and I at times have no idea, no understanding that they have unique emotional, physical, social needs. One of the things that we teach uh, within Equip the Council is that we are all physical beings that are spiritual beings that are physically embodied. We are in this broken tent. And we are also spiritually embattled. We have the world, we have Satan, the three enemies that are constantly testing us and pressuring, and we see the effects of that in the lives of people. And we are also relationally, uh, relationally oftentimes we are not just surrounded by relationships, but we impact relationships and they impact us in a positive and negative way. And it's never more the case when people within the body of Christ are sitting here or participating, but they're unable to somehow articulate or share their brokenness to other believers. Because you and I know that we don't necessarily want everyone to know around us how we are hurting. And so this next testimony is of a gal that was experiencing that. Someone within the household of faith, she had heard the gospel and was going to youth group and it was something that was a delight in her life. It was something significant in her life, but then her life met with tragedy. So I became a Christian when I was 15 um, in high school and it was new and exciting and um, for the first time uh, had hope and joy in my life. Um, and just a few weeks later, uh, happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and 
um, was raped by three men, um, for many years later struggled with self-injury and an eating disorder, um, and just a skewed vision of Jesus. This picture of Jesus for me was him uh, standing over me with the ability um, to, to intercede and to um, rescue me, but not. And so I had a relationship with God, um, but it was so off, it was so wrong um, until I decided to reach out for help. And um, that's when I got involved with uh, the counseling program at Salem Heights Church. Um, I remember the first time meeting with my counselor and I remember her giving me a list of attributes of God um, and wanting to go through them and she had said, I want you to circle the ones that you don't fully believe about God. I had asked myself, okay, if God is good, is he still good um, in the hard parts of life? Was he still good when I was being raped? Was he still good when I was struggling with self-injury? Um, and I couldn't answer that honestly and so I remember circling that one. The next thing I knew, I circled every attribute of God on there um, and really started to question who is God. And so I, I brought that paper back to my counselor and in tears I said, I don't know who God is, um, which in turn meant I didn't know who I was either. And so that picture of Jesus after um, months of counseling and really um, building a, a solid, truthful foundation of God and myself that picture of Jesus changed from him standing over me helpless um, to him holding me and crying with me. So while doing ministry in Latvia and I was preparing to share my testimony, um, that's when I really uh, discovered that my story was not unique to me and the hurts and the trials that I had been through. Um, I was not the only one to walk through those things and I uh, interacted with so many different women who could relate in some way but had not yet um, heard the message of hope, who had not yet received healing in those areas. So that is when I uh, started to realize that I wanted to go back to be able to minister to those women to help them um, find healing and redemption in their stories as well um, with the healing that Jesus can offer them too. Someone was made to minister to me. Who were you made to minister to? So as you hear her testimony, hopefully you're hearing that there were individuals that were there to minister to her. Someone brought her to church. She placed her faith in Christ. And at that point in her young Christian life, she understood Christ to be who she had been taught to believe in at that point. But her life met with tragedy. And from that tragedy, then her concept of who God, who is supposed to be a heavenly father that loves you, then becomes a big question mark. How can a God like that allow me to be raped? From then, from her image of who God is, she went to a real unhealthy view of who she was. And so since she had experienced that, she began to worked through her issues of self-harm. Her personal concept of who she was was not healthy. But along the way, there were individuals. See, I know more behind the story. She met um, people at college, and some of those individuals, one of, one of them was, uh, it was actually a couple. And a couple had her come and live with them. And I know that that couple now is in ministry here in Oregon at another church. But at that time, they were just a young couple that provided shelter in a safe environment. Then I know that as she had friends and she started uh, getting plugged into church again, she was invited 
to Salem Heights Church and she was interacting with peers and they were loving on her and leaders were loving on her. And at key points, there was someone instrumental that was made to minister to her so that it's only the 10, 10% part of her story now towards the end that she actually then finally met with a biblical counselor in a formal setting. But all before then, there were individuals who intentionally or not intentionally, but part of God's plan, ministered to her along the way. And so she had come to us and said, I want to go to Latvia. And she went with Pastor Pete to Latvia on a couple of occasions. And she fell in love with the young women there. And those women and the national staff grew to love her. And so they invited her to go to minister there in Latvia. And that's where she's at right now. And then check this out. This Thursday evening at 11 o'clock, the Deskines will be flying in from Chicago because that's where their connector is, from Latvia, and they are the directors of Josiah Venture for the whole country of Latvia. And because they have experienced Tori and some of our other people from Salem Heights Church and then came to visit us, they intentionally want to be at the Made to Minister conference this weekend. And we will then equip them through the use of technology to put the first cohort through equipped to counsel training in Latvia this coming year. So we will then offer them the training that they observed in Tori's life and in Pam's life, and they will then have a group of about six or seven Latvians that are now full-time in ministry in the country there begin to train on how to minister to others from the Word of God. Tori was made to minister to someone. We look at the difficulty and the tragedy and we don't desire that. That is just the ongoing evidence of a broken and lost world. But when we see that God will use every individual and every circumstance to his glory, we understand that you and I were also made to minister. So what does your ministry look like? You are equipped to love one another by God. Did you know that? Do you know that you have the Spirit of God in you? And do you know you have the Word of God that helps you to understand and see the paths that you and I should take? You are to practice your love towards the brethren. That's all believers, whether they attend church here or not, but within the context of the church, the body of Christ. The church is not sanitized in the sense that we don't have problems and don't have issues. And so you and I then are encouraged what, just like in the scriptures, you are encouraged to excel in your love for all believers. And that idea of excelling is, it's like when you're getting onto the freeway, right? When you're getting onto the freeway, you don't just keep on going 35. You accelerate. You continue to put the gas down. And in a spiritual sense, we are to do that by presenting our minds and our hearts to the Spirit of God to say, Lord, what can you do through me? We go to the Word so that we might grow spiritually in our knowledge. We serve because if you don't know who you're supposed to minister to, just start serving. 
And when you're serving, you'll fall in love with the living God and you'll fall in love with the people around you and then you will suddenly find yourself one day ministering to someone and then you'll realize, oh, I guess I was made to minister to this individual. So what's the result? You will have a testimony of ministry towards all people. Towards all people. Do you remember that evening that I described that brother coming over to my house? Called him up about midnight. Um, He told me, I'll be right over right now. And his wife sent him out. He was in my home till about two in the morning. And it was a dark, rainy evening. It's that way always in Oregon. But gripped with anxiety and fear and concern over family issues and the inability to control things, only being able to go to my knees in prayer, not knowing what next steps, what decisions, how should we handle this. Laura and I were now just clueless that we needed someone that would come to us to pray with us, that would point us back to Jesus, that knew from life experience how to handle things, that could give us hope when it seems like there was no hope. And that brother in Christ had now done the full circle. And I remember one day when I was in a room with him where he basically said, what you're telling me is the truth, I just don't want it. And then within just days of that, he was arrested for the largest methamphetamine bust in our county to this day. And he went to prison to then get saved. To then, 15 years later, to be at my home at two in the morning to minister to Laura and I. Josh was made to minister to, jo- to Laura and I for just that night. Who are you made to minister to? We really ask that you consider that. Being part of the conference this weekend is a small portion of that. Would you continue to plug into the body of Christ? Would you be an active participant of growing personally, ministering to others, and then going out and representing the living God wherever you go? Salem and abroad. Someone was made to minister to me. Who are you made to minister to? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your sovereignty that you know in advance, not just the plans you have for us, but the best plans. Thank you that for each one of us, we can see that Jesus came. Master plan was that you might save us through his death, burial, and resurrection, grace and mercy, and that we would be ones that then would live out that grace and mercy, that we would take seriously in humility that there is maybe nothing significant about each one of us other than that you loved us so greatly you saved us and that we can now share that same message of hope in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.